Jonah to us. When our shame was as deep as the seas, God's grace was deeper still. When our hearts were far away, His love pursues us. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. If you're new here to Oak Mountain, we're in the Old Testament because I try to preach through Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. A couple reasons I do that. Uh, First of all, I think it's so important that we in this biblically illiterate uh, age that we live in all understand the whole counsel of God. And so we want to look at our Old Testaments. But the other reason is I want us to understand that Jesus is just as present in the Old Testament as He is in the New. And Jesus is present in the book of Jonah as well. The theme for our series is Relentless Pursuit. We're considering the relentless pursuit of God as we look at how God pursues Jonah as a picture or a window into how God pursues us. But in addition, we learn through Jonah that as God pursues us, we in turn are to relentlessly pursue in love the lost, the broken, the oppressed, the fallen. So the unique theme of this morning's message is relentless pursuit through the unexpected. God often comes to us in surprising ways to reveal His loving pursuit of our hearts. Many of you might imagine uh, I love to read. Uh, My uh, perfect day off, if I'm not playing golf, is sitting down in front of a fireplace with a book like Lord of the Rings. Now, it hasn't always been that I read fiction. As a matter of fact, for most of my Christian life, I was only poring over uh, Christian biographies or Christian theologies or practical living Christian life books. And those are, of course, fantastic. But I remember being challenged by a professor uh, that I once knew who said, Bob, you need to be more well-rounded. You need to expose yourself to the classic works of fiction. And one guy he pointed me to was an author named Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry has a book written in the first person of the character, and the book's character and the book's name is Jaber Crow. Uh, Jaber Crow is part of a fictional small town in Kentucky called Port William. Through the story, we learn that Jaber was orphaned tragically as a boy. He didn't really fit in in this world. Uh, He went off to college, but nothing seemed to work for him. So he went back to Port William, Kentucky, and he became the town barber. And as we read, we learn that he did a whole lot more than cut hair. While people sat in his chair, he listened to their stories. He was invited into their lives. He came to understand that he was part of something much bigger than himself. A community based on unconditional love and an unswerving commitment to the common good. Toward the end of the novel, uh, Jaber speaks to us, the reader, about God's guidance and God's providence through his life. 
And let me read you some of Jaber Crow's closing words. I can't look back from where I am now and feel that I have been very much in charge of my life. I have made plans enough, but I see now that I never lived by plan. Nearly everything that has happened to me has happened by surprise. All the important things have happened by surprise. And whatever has been happening usually has happened before I had time to expect it. And so when I have thought I was in my story or in charge of it, I really have only been on the edge of it, carried along. Then he closes with this question. Is this because we are in an eternal story that is happening partly in time? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you know that the answer to Jaber's question is a resounding yes. We are in an eternal story that is happening partly in time. And we also know that all the important things in life that have happened to us, the things that mark us, are always a result of God's surprising providences. And nowhere, perhaps, do we find these truths more evident than in the book of Jonah. Jonah about a rebellious prophet, a prophet that's called to go to a wicked nation, to wicked people, and instead of going and obeying God's call, he goes literally the opposite direction. He boards a ship, but on that ship, God sends a great storm. And yet we find that God is still pursuing Jonah. And God, ironically, by surprise and unexpectedly, is still having Jonah pursue the lost even when he wasn't expecting it. All the things that mark us in life come through the surprise and unexpectedness of God's relentless pursuit of us through his providences. Now again, remember the reason why I chose to go through Jonah. Uh, I believe that there is an opportunity awaiting us as the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that by God's providence, He's going to allow us to get a handle on this COVID thing. And when we open and when we are truly free again to gather, I believe that there may be a new openness to the community, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we need to be ready. But the way we get ready is by being reminded of God's relentless pursuit of us through the unexpected in such a way that it melts our hearts so that we are to relentlessly then, in response, pursue in love those around us. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. This is God's Word. <clears throat> And they, the sailors, said to one another, 
Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us, the storm. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. And He wants us to see His relentless pursuit of us. Particularly this morning, through the unexpected. And being affected by His pursuit, He calls each one of us to relentlessly pursue in love all those around us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for our time together. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. God, may we not be hearers only who delude ourselves, but may we learn and do as you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, three lessons in God's relentless pursuit of us that melts our hearts, hopefully, and then propels us into loving others better. First of all, learn about God's relentless pursuit through unexpected kindness. Look at verse 7. These hardened sailors were casting lots. They probably did that often. What do you have to do on a ship except to get to where you're going and there's nowhere else to go? They probably gambled a lot. The lots fell to Jonah. Now, to this point, Jonah hadn't shown any concern at all for the crew. He was like a stowaway. He paid his fare, but he went immediately down below deck and fell asleep. All the pagans were crying out to their gods. 
Jonah didn't lift up a single prayer. Even when he's asked to pray, we don't see that he actually prays. Up to this point, Jonah couldn't have cared less for this crew of sailors. And now, the roll of the dice reveals to these men that Jonah is the cause of the storm. Now, put yourself into the story. Listen, God is the masterful storyteller. We are supposed to put ourselves in the story. Here are these sailors that, that for a living transported cargo. They were used to storms. They were used to great waves and gale force winds. And by this storm, they were freaked out. So freaked out that we learn that they threw all the cargo into the ocean. Now, don't pass by that. What cargo was that? That was the cargo of somebody else. They were transporting cargo that somebody else owned, that somebody else had purchased. And that's how the sailors made their living. And because of Jonah, they threw it into the sea. Now, not only were they not going to get income, but they were going to owe the debt of the cargo to whoever's cargo it was. These men had to be furious. And we wonder what's going to happen next. Well, something completely unexpected. Look at verse 8. Tell us on whose account this evil has come. Are you kidding me? And they know on whose account the evil has come. First of all, Jonah told them that he was running away from God. Secondly, he's the only one in the ship that isn't normally there. Thirdly, the, the die was cast, literally. The lot fell to Jonah. And yet, these unbelievers showed Jonah unexpected kindness. Mobs don't normally do that. Mobs usually whip themselves up into a frenzy the angrier they are. What happened on January 6th at the Capitol? A mob working itself into a frenzy. Mobs don't calm down. They get increasingly violent. Yet these hardened, rebellious Unbelieving sailors, God reveals his relentless pursuit of Jonah through their unexpected kindness. As a matter of fact, God often reveals his relentless pursuit of us through unexpected kindness in the world. Why is it that sometimes the world reveals more kindness than the church. This ought not to be. Well, look at verse 11. When Jonah tells them that it's his fault, they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may quiet down? That is completely unexpected kindness. What should we do to you? You know what an angry, unbelieving mob normally does? They slice you from top to bottom and chuck you into the sea for shark bait. They're not going to have a conversation. Hey, why don't you tell us what to do? We're listening. 
It's just incredibly unexpected that, that these hardened, salty sailors would actually seek Jonah's counsel. Again, unexpected kindness. These sailors treated Jonah with dignity. They treated him with respect. They treated him with honor when he had shown them as a Christian nothing but contempt. How many times have we shown contempt to the world rather than kindness? And could it be it's because we are constantly missing God's relentless pursuit of us through many unexpected kindnesses. Many of you who know Laurie and me know that my bride is a horse lover. She loves anything horse. I'm allergic to anything horse. Nonetheless, she, she loves stories about horses as well as horses themselves. And a movie that she loves is called The Horse Whisperer. Uh, it's about a horse whisperer, called a, uh, they're, they're also called a gentler, uh, who takes these, these wild, frightened, traumatized horses and without using any cruel coercion, brings the horse to the place of trust. Well, in The Horse Whisperer, Tom Booker is played by the actor Robert Redford. And one of his clients is a woman who's an editor of a New York magazine. She's a bigwig. And she has bought her daughter a horse, but this horse is traumatized. And the mom can't get rid of it because her daughter loves the horse. So they bring the horse to Tom Booker. Things are going pretty well. They're making some progress when suddenly the mom's cell phone goes off. And the ring freaks out the horse. The horse runs away to the opposite end of this very large pasture and just stays in the corner. Tom Booker opens the gate to the pasture, walks into the middle of the pasture, and just sits down. Four hours. He remains as still as can be, picking at grass, drawn a little bit in the dirt. And after several hours, the, the horse looks at him and takes a few steps toward him. Booker doesn't do anything, doesn't move, just, just pretends like he's there all by himself. The horse takes a few more steps and a few more. And eventually the horse brings down its big nose and nudges Tom Booker in the shoulder. Without reacting, Booker slowly gets up, pats the horse, talks to it, leads it to safety, and eventually the horse is tamed and loves the girl and taking her on rides. That's the way God gentles us. Romans 2, verse 4. It is the kindness 
of God that leads us to repentance. God is relentlessly pursuing Jonah. And God is relentlessly pursuing you as well. But remember, he's pursuing his children at all times so that we, in turn, would relentlessly pursue the lost in love. Learn about God's relentless pursuit through unexpected kindness. Secondly, learn about God's relentless pursuit through unexpected sacrifice. Jonah, to this point, has not cared a whit about this crew. And yet, when the crew gets desperate, look at verse 12. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, for I know it is because of me the great tempest has come upon you. Now, if you've been following the narrative, this seems to come out of nowhere. Jonah has shown no concern, no compassion, no love, no kindness, nothing but disdain and contempt for these worldly people. But something happened. Now, we know, of course, God's hand was starting to move in Jonah's heart. But, but what was the means of, through which God moved? It was the kindness, the unexpected kindness of the sailors that began to thaw Jonah's icy heart. See, up to this point, all Jonah had for non-Israelites, Jonah was a real nationalist, all he had for other nations was contempt, disdain, They were detestable to him. But being shown kindness, at some point, he began to see them as people, as image bearers. And as they reflected the kindness of God to him, he became aware that they were husbands, sons, fathers, that they had fears, they had concerns, they had longings. You see, it's easy when you keep people at a distance to treat them with contempt. It's easy when you keep people at arm's length to detest them. You don't believe me Look at what happens on social media. I see supposed Christians posting things on social media that are so unkind, so ungracious, so contemptible and detestable. Why? Because they don't have to face the people. They would never, I would hope, speak to someone face-to-face the way they're posting things on social media. The principle's obvious. When we keep people at a distance, they're easy to detest. But when you begin to see people as people, as image bearers, as having so much in common with us, 
we begin to show compassion. And so Jonah finally starts acting like a prophet of God. He says to them, throw me into the sea. It's all my fault that this has happened to you. Now what we learn in the text is that when Christians show unexpected sacrifice, it lowers the temperature in the room. One of the things I'm so frustrated about right now with the church is that we seem to be the ones raising the temperature in the nation. Christians ought to be known for lowering the temperature. And we do that by humbly self-sacrificing ourselves. And the world takes notice. So in verse 13, after verse 12, where Jonah says, hurl me into the sea, it's my fault, the pagans respond by rowing hard to get back to land. They didn't want to sacrifice Jonah's life. They were more pro-life than he was. And he was a Christian. They were willing to risk their lives, and Jonah is still unwilling to risk his life for Nineveh. So how about us? Are we raising the temperature in the world? Or are we seeking to lower it? Are we demanding our rights? Or are we willing to sacrifice our rights? By the way, this is the high point of the story in some ways. Jonah being hurled into the sea is a type or a figure or a sign of Jesus being hurled into the sea of God's wrath. Jesus repeatedly referred to the sign of Jonah. But he says something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah was hurled into the sea because it was his own dumb fault. It was his own rebellion. It It was his own running away from God that created the whole problem. It's our sin that created the storm of God's wrath in our lives. And yet Jesus was the unexpected sacrifice hurled into the sea of God's wrath. See, the Jews didn't expect a Savior who'd be sacrificed. They didn't expect a crucified Messiah. They were looking for a political Savior. And Jesus was an unexpected sacrifice who took God's wrath among himself. So they finally, verse 15, because of the storm growing worse, picked up Jonah and hurled him to the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. It became perfectly calm. Remember Jesus on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples? This huge storm. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus said, hush, wind. Be still, sea. And instantaneously, what were huge swells became like glass. Now, picture the kind of storm that these sailors must have been experiencing on the open seas. 50, 100-foot swells looked like skyscrapers. 
hurricane force winds. As soon as Jonah hits the water, no wind, instantaneously. And everything just fell flat like glass. And that's precisely what happens in our lives when we transfer our trust from our own religious, religiosity, our, our own efforts of trying to be good enough, and we put our hope and trust in the promise of God's grace through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You see, that's the sign of Jonah. That as Jonah, verse 17, was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of God crucified will be three days and three nights in death. And then he will be raised again. Unexpected sacrifice. Capitol Policeman uh, Eugene Goodman this week was granted uh, the Congressional Gold Medal. uh, One of the highest honor, the highest honor, I guess, that Congress can bestow uh, on a citizen. He was bestowed that because of his act of courage above and beyond the call of duty by helping lawmakers uh, evade the rioters, in particular uh, Mitt Romney, Mike Pence, to mention others. And the world stood up and took notice. See, the world notices unexpected sacrifice. What does the world notice about the church? Are we known for unexpected sacrifice? Honestly, folks, at this point, I think not. Not in America, anyway. Learn about God's relentless pursuit through unexpected kindness, unexpected sacrifice, and then thirdly and finally, learn about God's relentless pursuit through unexpected mercy. Now, imagine what happened to these sailors when when a hundred foot swells suddenly completely turned to glass. Just imagine the awe, the wonder. Well, look at verse 16. This is what happened. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice and made vows. Now, The the word exceedingly is trying to get to just how dramatic and emphatic the Hebrew text is. That, That these men, basically what the text is saying, were converted on the spot. They turned from their paganism and their idolatry to Jesus Christ. The last thing we would expect is a boatload of hardened unbelievers to be instantaneously converted. And yet, Jesus says He came to call not the righteous, but the sinful. Jesus, contrary to expectations of God, Jesus said the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the sinners will enter the kingdom before the children. He's talking about, of course, the the nation of Israel who thought that their uniqueness made them better than other people. You see, Jesus said repeatedly, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, 
not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not your churchianity. I desire mercy. Not all your traditional values. I desire mercy, not your religiosity. This is why Jesus said there's more joy in heaven over one sinner than, that repents than over 99 who need no repentance. What an unexpected mercy for a boatload of unbelievers to be converted, especially through the rebellious actions of a rebellious prophet. How great is God's mercy to move like that? See, we need to remember as the church that in Ezekiel 33, God says that He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. I get the impression sometimes from Christians that God's dancing and you know doing flips when pagans get their due. God says He takes no pleasure, none, in the death of the wicked. In Isaiah 28, 21, we're told that God's wrath is actually His strange work, His foreign work, His alien work. God delights in mercy. Do we? Are we merciful to those around us? Are we merciful to those who don't believe the way we do? Who don't worship the way we do? Look, Jesus Christ is the only way. Don't you ever think that Bob's gone off liberal. But <laughs> mercy isn't liberal, it's godly. Mercy isn't liberal, it's Christ-like. And what has happened to our view of God? That we have minimized mercy. But there's more mercy in the text. Look at verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah surely expected to die. When he was thrown in, he thought he was toast. And yet God sent a giant fish. Not as judgment, but as salvation. Jonah expected to die, but he forgot that God never gives up on his children. And when we're struck afresh by God's relentless pursuit through unexpected mercy, it softens us and helps us to look at the world in mercy as well. Remember the parable of the debtor? In Matthew 18, uh, Jesus tells the parable of this man who went to a loan shark and owed this guy more money than he could ever repay in a lifetime. So he's going to demand the guy pays it all or be thrown into prison. The guy gets on his knees and starts begging for mercy. Please, I'll pay you back. Well, that was a lie. He couldn't pay him back. And what's more, the money lender probably knew that the guy was lying. He was just being manipulative. So that'd be even more reason to throw him into prison. But the guy actually took pity on him and said, I'll have mercy on you. You're forgiven completely. Then what happens next? The guy goes out and finds a friend that owed him two pennies. Two pennies the friend did not have. And so for two pennies, this guy who had been forgiven a lifetime of debt has the guy thrown into prison. 
Then the word gets back to the money lender. That guy you forgave, he threw his friend in prison for two cents. Guy calls him back in. Did I not forgive you all that? Should you not also have shown mercy to your friend? And it says, they put him in a prison until he should pay the last cent. In other words, he'll never get out of prison. And then Jesus says, show what shall be for those who do not show mercy. We've been shown great unexpected mercy in Christ. And we have the sign of Jonah to remind us. But that's not the only sign. We also have the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. We have the Lord's table that reminds us of God's relentless pursuit through unexpected kindness and sacrifice and mercy. On the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, he took the cup. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. Let's pray. God, we set apart now these elements from their common use. We recognize that they remain bread and the fruit of the vine. And yet we also recognize that Paul clearly teaches us that, Jesus, you are supernaturally present by your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and nourish us as we partake in repentance and faith. So, God, come to us by your Spirit and work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name.